0: Hi, and welcome to the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. We've provided a collection of sermons, our midweek lessons, music, and many more tools to help you grow in your walk with God. We are living in an unprecedented and challenging time, but we invite you to listen in and be encouraged as we fight through this together. Be sure to subscribe and feel free to share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. Thanks for listening. Okay, so go ahead and get James chapter 3 queued up. We are going to look at a few other scriptures. I may have you turn there, I may not, but we will spend the bulk of our time tonight in James chapter 3. So the last class was James chapter 2, obviously. And in that class, James talked about the importance of genuine relationships. And uh, we looked at a couple of things in particular. We looked at the need and the importance of loving impartially, right? So that no matter who it is, whatever the background might be, no matter where they might be or who they might be, that we really need to love everybody the same. And that's a big thing that Jesus taught and James picked that up and said that we not give favoritism or show favoritism to anybody, that we treat each other equally, which is really, really important. And uh, I think a very powerful part of our fellowship. Uh, And then we also looked at the importance of uh, loving each other um, completely. So it's not impartially, that, right? But we also have to love completely. And the way that we learn to love completely is to get to know each other deeper. And the more we do that, the more we find out the various needs that we have, the things that we struggle with, the things that we need help with. And, uh, and that brings us a lot closer together. So you've gotta, you've gotta learn to, to get to know each other deep enough to really find out what those needs are and to be able to meet those needs specifically. And so now we're going to go ahead and move on into into chapter three. And uh, chapter three is where James gets very specific about this practical Christianity that we've been talking about so much. And um, where where James 1 and 2 focused a lot on listening and doing, chapter three focuses on something equally important. And it's what we say, why we say it and how we say it. So let's go ahead and begin James chapter three, beginning with me in verse one. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Well, we know that nobody is perfect except Jesus. So we all struggle with things, Well, let's talk about this teacher. He begins with a charge to anybody who would presume to be a teacher in the church. Now, what do we mean by, by teacher? Because a lot of people in the church teach, right? We even have children's ministry teachers. But what James is talking about here is a little different than that. In the New Testament church, teacher was a, a specific role in church leadership. And so just as we read about elders, we read about evangelists, and they all had a very specific gift set and a very specific responsibility for that, for that gift and for that role that they were serving in. There were also teachers. Now, we have teachers in our ICO. System. We have teachers that, uh, that really help the churches. They help the evangelists in dealing with some of those really, really deep sticky issues. And I've many times uh, made phone calls and emails to some of the teachers in the Brotherhood. Uh, the one that I call on the most is Steve Kennard. I've known Steve Kennard for uh, over 30 years. And so when I find something in the Bible that I really don't get, or I think I'm perhaps misinterpreting before I preach about it, uh, I usually give somebody like that a call. And done it. in fact, I just did it recently, and. Uh, you know, Steve is great. He usually gets right back to me and says, well, here's what I think. You know, Steve's got a, a doctorate degree in theology, which I do not have, and I appreciate that he has that. But we've got people like that in our fellowship, whether it's Steve or, or maybe Val Kohob in Boston is another one who, uh, who I can call on. And, uh, and they do help us with those really difficult, challenging topics. And so we do have an official role of teacher in the church. But that doesn't mean that nobody else can teach, right? So we have many people teach. I'm doing it right now. But I don't hold the official position, if you will, as a teacher in our churches. But I do have a role of evangelist. And part of my responsibility in that role is to teach and to preach. But then that doesn't mean that I'm the only one that can preach. In fact, many of you guys have preached. We had Max preached just last week. So when it comes to teaching, It's something that anyone who does it should take very, very seriously or don't do it. And it's also not part of everybody's gift set, which is why not everybody does it. But the reason teachers are held to such a strict standard is the incredible influence that they have. And it's a huge responsibility. And one of the most effective ways that a teacher teaches is by word of mouth, right? So it's what they say. We listen to teachers, and if we trust them and if we believe them to be re- reliable, then more than likely we're going to believe what they say. And if they're telling us or asking us or requesting us to, to do something or put something in the practice, then we're probably going to go ahead and follow through with that. So it's a huge responsibility. What they say, their words mean a lot. Now we may not all teach but we all speak, and what we all say, whether you're a teacher or not, what we say, why we say it, and how we say it is really, really important. Now, in verse two, we go back. And he says, look, we all stumble in many ways, and anyone who's never a fault in what they say is perfect. Okay, so I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. I don't think anybody in this In this room is perfect so let's be honest when it comes to what we say we all stumble in this area to lesser or greater degrees now the the lesser degree when we stumble in what we say might just be a simple misspeak right and we all misspeak sometimes and it's really it's saying something that you didn't intend to say. It wasn't done maliciously, it wasn't done intentionally. You just said something wrong. So we might be saying something like, the, the the train is leaving the station at 6 a.m. When in fact, in reality, the train is leaving the station at 6 p.m. And so the person to whom you're saying that to, that might have some pretty serious consequences. You didn't intend to leave them astray, but they missed their train by, by a long time. So that little slip, although unintentional, can really mess somebody up. It's a misspeak. It wasn't intentional. Now, the other end of that spectrum would be an intentional lie. And so we might say, okay, maybe we, maybe we know the train is leaving at 6 a.m. <clears throat> but what we tell them is, no, in fact, there are no trains running today, today at all. Okay, so that's a that's a lie and I think you get the idea that has great consequences. Since we all stumble to lesser or greater degrees, we all need to give careful thought to what we say. We also need to give very careful thought to what we write. Now when when James wrote this letter and this instruction about speaking, pretty much that was the way most everybody communicated. Very few people actually wrote to each other. It's very different today. And so we can expand this idea of speaking to writing. So what we say is very important, but also what we write. And so we not only use our mouths, but we use pens, we use pencils, and more often than that, we use keyboards. And it works the same way. So whether it's something you write or something you say, Once those words are out there, it's almost impossible to take them back. That's why we have to be really careful what we say and what we write. Now, if you've ever said anything you regret to your wife, if you're married, or your kids, you know that feeling, right? Once that's out there and you're like, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. Well, oftentimes, it's a little too late. The damage is done, and it takes a long time to recover from that. Or maybe you sent a text, or maybe you sent the email in a fit of rage or anger or frustration. And then once it's out there and you think about it for a little bit, or maybe almost right away, right? This happens oftentimes, you you like hit send and you're like, oh man, why did I do that? Well, it's too late. You can't undo it. You wish you could, right? But you know the feeling when you've done, when you said, or you've, um, you've written something wrong. Well, look at verse three now. He goes into a little bit more detail here. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by a strong wind, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boats. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison and I really love the the imagery that James uses here you know he talks about the the, the bit in the horse's mouth or the spark of the fire or the rudder for the ship and we can all picture in our minds how these work right so we've seen horses controlled by a bit we all can can understand what that means We know that a spark, if you've ever gone camping, even just a small, little, tiny flame can can start a huge, huge roaring fire. Or if you've been on a boat or if you're a sailor like John or Carl, you know that that little rudder can have such a huge impact on where that ship is going. And so we could all picture in our minds how these work. But do we have that same clarity when it comes to our tongues? And although it's this little, relatively small muscle, the amount of impact that your tongue or your pen can make. I think James did. He understood it very well. He knew the power of speech. He knew the power that that speech holds to to build up. But he also knew the power to tear down the, the latter that he was most concerned with why is that why was he so concerned about the potential damage that the tongue can can do i think james understood human nature really well tearing down is almost always easier than building up and if you've ever done a construction project you probably know that right so demolition is a lot easier than renovation. And usually, demolition doesn't require a lot of thought, right? You can just get a, a big old maul or a sledgehammer, or you can get a sawzall, or you can get, you know, an axe, and you can just start hacking away. You don't really have to give it a lot of thought, especially if it's a total demolition. If you're completely ripping something down, right? You're not really care. You, you don't really care what's on either side. You're just ripping it all out. Doesn't require a lot of thought. And it's oftentimes done recklessly. But renovation, if you're a carpenter, if you've done any kind of building project, you know that requires careful thought. You know, you got to call John Roundtree, and you got to get some plans drawn up and you got to know like, okay, this goes here and this goes there. And you got to really think that through requires diligent work. The truth of the matter is, I think in our daily lives, we can be often too quick to criticize, but very slow to encourage. And there's a there's a basic law of leadership that I found over the years that I've been in the ministry, and it's not 100 percent you know accurate and, and close here, but I think it's pretty close. And it's not just ministry leadership. I think it's probably whatever leadership we have, you know, in the world, and and maybe whatever leadership position you might be in, perhaps on your job or in your career. But here, here's how it goes: people will seldom let you know when you're doing a good job, but they'll certainly let you know when you're not doing a good job. But they may actually believe that you're doing a good job, but you just won't hear it. It's a given that you should be doing a good job, and that's true, but there just isn't a feeling that I should tell you that. But then when something is going wrong, or there's a failure in some way, then that voice is heard loud and clear. And again, I don't think that just happens in leadership. I think it's part of our human nature. And I think it's how we can so often take each other for granted. And it can happen to anyone. And it might not be intentional. It's just how we function. It's part of that that basic human nature that we have. And our human nature is something that we're always grappling with, always wrestling with. And even Jesus wrestled with his human nature. Look at the the example in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? So he's, he's grappling, he's wrestling with his human nature. He knows what the spiritual side of him should do, but he's really wrestling with what that earthly side of him wants to do. And in this case, he wanted to live. He did not want to go and die on that cross. And so the battle is allowing our human nature to be controlled by the spirit of God and not by the spirit of Satan. So let me say that again. The battle is allowing our human nature to be controlled by the spirit of God and not by the spirit of Satan. And this is the battle that we see really all through the scriptures from Old Testament through New Testament. We see it really clearly in examples like Romans 7, for example, when Paul talks about this wrestling of the good. I know I I should do this. I don't do. And the the evil that I don't want to do, that seems to be the thing I do. And when I want to do the right thing, evil is right there next to me. I mean, he felt that battle so, so much. It's the battle for the heart and the mind and i love the way paul puts it in uh, ephesians chapter 6 i'm just going to read a couple of verses 6 through 12. he says finally be strong in the lord and his mighty power put on the full armor of god so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So he knew this battle was going on. And I think for all of us, guys, we need to very intentionally set our hearts and our minds on our spiritual nature, not our earthly one. The earthly nature comes easily We don't really have to think about being worldly, right? We don't have to think about being unspiritual. Those are the things that left to our our own devices we will immediately turn to. The earthly one comes easily, the spiritual nature, not so much. When it comes to what we say or what we write, it should always be the spirit of God that's driving it, that's behind it. Now, when James says, we're going to go back to James chapter 1. And uh, when he says in verse 8, he says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. When he says that, that no human contains the tongue. It's because it's so closely tied to our earthly nature. Have you n- ever noticed how close what you say or maybe what you write is tied to that human, that earthly nature? Have you ever noticed what you're tempted to say when you're angry or frustrated or hurt? I mean, really, really angry, really frustrated or maybe just feeling devastated. It's usually not first the things of your of your godly nature. Sometimes we have to stop and we have to catch our tongue. And we have to do what, what, what Paul says, take every thought, and we can also add to that without adding to the scriptures, I think, every word captive and make them obedient to Christ. Right, so when you're really angry at somebody or some situation, you got to stop and think, man, I don't want to say this. You know, I don't want to write this. And I don't want to text this. So we have, we have to catch this because that, that tongue is so easily and I think so closely tied to our earthly nature. And so we have to take captive those thoughts of what we're going to say and make them obedient to Christ. So in other words, it's intentional. When you take something captive, it's a very intentional move. Satan knows how to get under your skin, and Satan knows how to how to get into your heart, and only God can purify the heart, and only God can tame the tongue. Now, look at what Jesus has to say about this. We're going to look in Matthew chapter twelve. So go ahead and turn there, and uh, we're going to begin at verse thirty-three. But I'm going to read from a slightly different translation. My assumption is most of you are reading the NIV and you're probably looking at it on a device and so it's probably the 2011 version which is the updated supposedly improved, in ver- uh, ver- improved uh, version but I'm going to be reading from the 1984 version in which when I became a Christian in 1985 that's what we had and uh, that's the one that I have really uh, Read for most of my life, and uh, and feel very very close to it. It's a little. It reads a little different from what you're about to follow along. If that's what you're looking at, <clears throat> but I'm gonna be reading from this two thousand from this 1984 uh, edition. So this is uh, Matthew 12, beginning in verse 33. Jesus says, "Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good; or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized." by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up for him, or in him rather, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment, for every careless word they have spoken, for by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. I love the way that reads. Maybe a little different than your version, but I think this is uh, a really great way of, of looking at it. Now, a little bit of a disclaimer here. jesus is is talking to Pharisees, not disciples. But I think the principle, of what he's saying really applies to everybody. He says that the tongue controlled by the spirit of Satan will tear down. The the tongue controlled by the spirit of God will build up and we will be held accountable for every single thing that we have said. Now, I realize that God is a God of grace. And that God is a God of forgiveness. But we will be accountable for the things we say. And we should be held accountable for the things that we say. The tongue controlled by the Spirit of God will build up. And so what does that look like every day? Well, let's go back to James chapter 3 now. And we're going to pick this up in verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So what is coming out of your mouth? If we're really truly rooted in Christ, and that would be that that good tree that Jesus talked about in, Mar- in Matthew 12. The water that comes out of your mouth or the words will be fresh. And the fruit Will be right and good. So, in other words, if you're truly rooted in Christ, you'll say the right things because of that foundation you have in Christ. You will make it your business to not tear anybody down and to not even be neutral or indifferent, but you'll make it your business to build up your brothers and your sisters. And the the Bible is so clear about this. And when we get into our breakout rooms, we're going to talk about this a bit more. But there are certain scriptures that I think we really need to take to heart. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, this is beginning in verse 25. Ephesians 4, 25, we're going to go down through verse 32. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands, their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. And then a similar scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, just one verse, I'll read it. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you have been doing. Right, so Paul says, keep doing it. Don't ever give up doing it. Now, let's go back to James chapter three. We'll close out with the last few verses. Verse 13, who is wise in understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. But where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You know by by closely following Jesus, which We know we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago is is the very wisdom of God, right? When we talked about the mind of Christ, the the, the mind of Christ is really the, 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 the mind of God. So as we closely follow Jesus, I think everything that we've been talking about will become more and more natural. As your human nature becomes more aligned with your spiritual nature and this is something as Christians we always need to be working on is my is my flesh is my is my, my human my human being part of me right is that more aligned with with the spiritual nature or with the earthly worldly nature if we can make our if we can get ourselves to a point where we're more aligned with Christ than we're aligned with the world then i think you're going to naturally be more encouraging not going to be critical you're going to be uplifting you're not even going to be neutral when you see your brothers when you're around brothers and sisters you're just you're going to want to encourage them because you're so in tune and aligned with the spirit of jesus and as that happens your character develops this has been an episode of the southern connecticut church of christ podcast please subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest podcast